This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Christmas Story podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the second episode of a special Christmas edition of the Maverick Minister Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. Since the holiday season is always a special time of year, especially for those who celebrate Christmas, we are continuing our unique perspective on the Christmas story from episode one. In the first episode of the deranged Christmas story, Grace and I discovered that the yearly telling of the Christmas story about Mary, Joseph, and the baby born in a stable more than 2,000 years ago isn't just their story. In some way, as we listen to it, we begin to realize that it's a story about all of us. It's a story about life, with all of its unexpected twists and turns and struggles and challenges. It's a story that's so simple you can put the whole thing on a Christmas card. But at the same time, it is so vast and complex that a thousand libraries full of theology books can only begin to hint at what it really means. So, let's make the rest of this story about us as much as it is about them. Imagine, if you will, that you are Joseph, engaged to a girl named Mary. Imagine that she has just told you she's pregnant, and that an angel came and told her that the father of the baby is God. What would you think? What would be your first response? What would you do? Well. If it was me, my first thoughts and response might be kind of irrational. I would guess that maybe they were for Joseph as well. But after my irrational moments, I think I might feel the need to ask someone I trust a whole lot for advice before I did anything. Hi, Dad. It's Joe. Joseph? Your son? Joseph? Yeah, yeah, Dad, it's me. I'm doing... I guess I'm doing okay. Well, not really. I'm not really doing okay at all right now. I've sort of got a big problem that I need to talk to you about. No, no, I feel fine. Business? Hey, business is going well. There's a lot of construction here in Nazareth. In fact, business is great. Uh, No, no, Dad, I don't need any money. I mean, if you want to send me some, hey, feel free. But that's not why I'm calling. Well, Dad, it's about Mary. Mary, Dad. Mary, the girl you arranged for me to walk down the aisle with? You remember Mary, don't you? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, she's a real cutie, all right. Yeah, nice family, I know. Well, there's a problem. Well, and I don't really know how to say this. Well, the problem is, Mary's pregnant. No, Dad, I'm not a chip off the old block. No, I'm not. I'm... I'm not the father. 
Well, of course I'm sure. Don't you think I'd know if I... Oh, come on. Well, that's part of the problem. I'm not really sure who the father is. No, she isn't that kind of a girl. No, she's... Just wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Listen to what she told me. She says she was home alone the other week and an angel named Gabriel appeared to her. And he told her that God had chosen her to bear his son into the world. Yeah, she says that God is the father. Yeah, she says this child is God's son. No, Dad, I'm sure she doesn't take drugs. No, she isn't mentally unbalanced. I just don't know what to do. I mean, I never expected anything like this to happen. Who would? She seems very sincere. What if she's telling the truth? Yeah, my first thought, too. We could annul the whole thing and get out of it as quietly and painlessly as possible. I mean, if I made a big deal out of it, especially in a small town like this, things could be very bad for her. She could even be stoned to death. But the more I think about it, and I know this sounds weird, but the more I think about it, the more I'm beginning to believe that there may be something to this business about God being the father of this child. I'm even beginning to dream about it. Dad, suppose it is true. Suppose God really is trying to be born into the world this way. I'll grant you, it's pretty bizarre. But what if it's true? This could be the most important thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I know she could be making it all up. But it just doesn't feel that way. Something deep inside of me says she's telling the truth. Dad, could we move the wedding up? No, I haven't talked to her parents about it. Yeah, I know, Mom will freak out. But look, we can handwrite the invitations. And I'll take care of all the other arrangements myself. I know, I know it's confusing. I know it's impossible. I know it's crazy. But I can't help feeling like it's true. God is somehow in the middle of all this. And I'm just going to have to trust that it's all going to come out okay. No, I can't tell you why. I just do. Thanks, Dad. I knew you'd be there for me no matter what. You're the best. Yeah, I love you too. Bye. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. It was a long and grueling trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I've never been outside of Galilee except to visit my cousin Elizabeth in a little town just outside of Jerusalem, right after I got pregnant. 
Cousin Liz was pregnant, too. I couldn't believe that she was more than 60 years old and having her first child. I just can't imagine it. She said that her child was a gift from God. I wasn't about to tell her the angel story and that I was pregnant with God's child. But she seemed to know already. As soon as I walked in the door, she told me that her baby was jumping for joy in her belly and that God had blessed me to be the mother of his son. It made me so happy to have somebody who believed in me and understood what I was going through that I just started singing. And Liz sang right along with me. I stayed with her for three months and we both had the best time. But eventually I had to go back to Nazareth and face Joseph, my family, and the whole town before I was showing so much that I would be accused of a crime. Back in Nazareth, life was a lot easier than I expected. Joseph had arranged for us to have a very quiet and quick wedding. He was really wonderful and very understanding about this whole thing. I'm sure people in town wondered about what had happened, but for his sake, nobody made a public issue of my pregnancy. I was getting very close to my time when the Romans decided it was time to count everyone in the empire. For us, that meant we had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to sign up because Joseph's family was from there. That was about 90 miles on foot in cold and wet weather over hills and rocky trails. We would have to sleep on the ground when we couldn't find any other place to stay. When we finally got to Bethlehem, there was no place to stay either. No hotel rooms, no boarding houses, nothing except a smelly, filthy stable. After carrying my child for nine months and walking halfway across the country, I had to give birth alone on the dirty floor of a stable. And Joseph, as nice and as helpful as he tried to be, was really no help at all. But there was a very sweet woman who came into the stable as I was in labor and she stayed through the whole thing and helped me deliver my baby. I don't know who she was or why she just showed up, but I don't think I could have managed without her. After all the angel had said about my child being special, I can't quite appreciate how giving birth in that stable was supposed to be a special experience. But oh my 
was special. He was beautiful, so soft, so warm in the cold night air. He had the most perfect fingers and the cutest little toes. He was absolutely the best thing that has ever happened to me. And most of all, he was mine. All mine. When I held him for that first time, it wouldn't have made any difference whether I was in a stable or a palace. I felt as happy and as fulfilled as I ever had in my life. The following letter was written on stationery from the Bethlehem Court Motel. To whom it may concern. My name is... Oh, my name isn't really important. All of you know about me anyway. Or at least you think you do. I'm the innkeeper. The one who told Joseph and Mary there was no room for them in my inn when they came to Bethlehem. I'm the one who is responsible for sending them to the stable where Jesus was born. For centuries, I've been portrayed as a hard-hearted and unfeeling man. For centuries, everybody has remembered me as the guy who met the holy couple at my door and didn't care enough to find them a place to sleep except with the animals. I'm not writing this letter to change anybody's mind or to redeem myself from history. You can think what you like about me but I want you to know a little bit more about what really happened that night. Before we get too far into this letter, I want to introduce myself. I'm the innkeeper's wife, and I want to be sure that since my husband is going to tell you the story of what really happened that night, you get all the facts. By the time Mary and Joseph showed up at my inn, all of the other innkeepers in town had already turned them away. They weren't any more hard-hearted or cruel than me. But Mary and Joseph came to town in the middle of the night during the biggest event in Bethlehem's history. They didn't make a reservation. They didn't have any major credit cards. I'm not even sure they would have had enough money to pay the bill if there had been a room available. But there weren't any rooms. Every room in every inn in town was already gone. And by the time they got to the Bethlehem Court Motel, my patience and goodwill was just about gone, too. I'll bet you don't know what it's like to run a motel, now do you? Have you ever had the full responsibility for making sure that everybody is happy, calm, and comfortable? That the food is to everybody's liking? And that everybody gets what they want when they want it? Well, let me tell you, the phone rings 24 hours a day. Something is always breaking down or leaking, and God help you if there's a bug, or if the cable TV or the Wi-Fi doesn't work perfectly, and you can't find good, dependable help, ever. It's an impossible job. There are always a million things to be done, and there is never enough time to do them. And that's the way it was on steroids the night they arrived. He's absolutely right about how busy Bethlehem was at that time, between Robin soldiers, commandeering rooms, people flooding into town to sign up for the census, and everybody looking for somewhere to stay. 
we were up to our necks in things that needed to be done to try and keep everybody satisfied with the accommodations. I remember. I was sitting behind the desk trying to catch up on the accounts. There were wake-up calls to record and the cook was threatening to quit when they came in. I saw them, but I didn't even bother to get up. I hoped they would take one look at my face and turn around and leave. She came walking through the door first. She had that tired, slow, heavy-footed walk that a woman in her last month before giving birth has. And Joseph? He stood behind her. He had a helpless look in his eyes. You know, the kind of look I'm talking about. It's a look that someone gets when they know you're going to tell them no, even before they ask the question. But he asked anyway, and he tried to sound hopeful. Do you have any rooms? And I said, no. Then he looked at me for a few seconds in a pleading sort of way. And then he looked at her, and they turned to walk away. I was standing in the kitchen doorway when they came in. My husband didn't even notice I was there. When he gets stressed at work, he hardly notices anything except work. That poor young girl looked so uncomfortable that it almost broke my heart. Just walking from the door to the reception desk was a chore for her. It was clear that it wouldn't be long before that baby was going to be born. And the poor man looked so tired and discouraged, like a whipped puppy. He helped her walk to the desk and found a bench for her to sit down. My husband was so harsh with them, just the way he said no. After the man asked about a room, almost felt like a slap in the face. But then he did something that was so totally out of character for him that I had to catch my breath. I was exhausted and irritated. I knew I probably wouldn't get any sleep that night. It would have been easy for me just to let them leave. Frankly, I don't know why I didn't. But about the time they reached the door, I said in kind of a disgusted tone, There's a stable out back. You can sleep there if you want. Funny. I think I would have been insulted. But they were grateful. He even asked me how much it would cost. Oh, come on. You don't really think I charge them for the stable, do you? Give me a break. You know, what bothers me most about all of this is not that history has made me out to be a bad guy or that I didn't make special arrangements for Mary and Joseph, or even that I missed the birth of Jesus. What bothers me most is that while all of this was going on around me, I was so busy that I never even knew any of it was happening. What bothers me most is that the mundane, everyday things of my life became so overwhelmingly important that the people around me became unimportant. What bothers me most is that my problems with accounts and wake-up calls and the cook meant more to me than a man and woman who could have used not just a room, but a kind word and a little care and compassion. I think to myself sometimes, what if I had stopped during that night and gone out to see how they were getting along in the stable? What if I had been just a little bit more concerned? What if I'd cared? 
then maybe history might have been a little more kind to me. I might be one of those statues that people put on their coffee tables around the manger scenes on Christmas Eve. Well, unlike my husband, I did go out to the stable to see how they were doing during the night. I got there while she was in labor. She was so young and didn't have anyone to help, but her poor husband just looked like he was going to pass out any minute. She had no idea what to expect, and, well, I'm no midwife. I have had three children of my own, so I was the closest thing she had to one. So I told him to go out and get some water just so he would get out of the way and I started coaching her through labor. It didn't take very long before that baby arrived screaming bloody murder. I cleaned him up, wrapped him in some clean cloths that I had brought with me and gave him to her. She looked tired, but so peaceful and content. Well, once I knew that everything was all right, I left the two of them together, just basking in the joy of that baby. You know, my father used to say, you hardly ever regret the things you've done. It's what you should have done, but didn't that haunts your sleep. I have so many regrets about what I didn't do that night. Maybe if I had seen the Son of God lying in a manger, I would have realized that my life was about more than just working. Maybe I would have realized that if this miracle could happen right under my nose, then there could be lots of other miraculous things going on all around me. Maybe for the rest of my life, the sounds of children laughing and playing in my front yard would have been more than just an irritating distraction and the problems or needs of a friend would have been more than just another intrusion into my busy schedule. Maybe love could have become more than just a word. If I had just stopped to look, maybe my life would have been different. But I was busy, and so I didn't. And because of that, my life wasn't any different. So I'm writing this letter because I want you to stop thinking of me just as a cold, hard-hearted innkeeper who caused God to be born in a stable. Think of me instead as someone who was so busy with what he thought was important that when the most important event in his life happened, he ignored it. And then, think about how busy you are with all of the important things in your life. Think of all the people, all the love, and all the joy you may be missing because there are so many more important things to be concerned with. Think about it. And don't miss any more. Merry Christmas, the innkeeper and his wife. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and we have heard from everyone who was a part of that birth experience. But the story is far from over. We still have angels. Oh, please, not that same angel again. Relax. Nobody else is going to get pregnant. Phew, that's a relief. We still have angels, shepherds, and wise men yet to tell their part of the story. 
So stay tuned for the rest of the story in the next episode. episode.